This morning we'll look at John chapter 9, verses 13 through 41. If you guys could bring that stand up here for me, that'd be great. I think we have some markers there. I'm getting used to using that, I don't know. I'm telling people, I think maybe it makes me feel like R.C. Sproul. Except you always use the chalkboard. Remember, I was listening to a tape one time, and Michelle said, what's all that noise in the background? I said, he's writing on a chalkboard. So can everybody see this? Maybe I should ask. I've used it for a few weeks now. Is everybody able to see this? Everybody in the back there, Kyle, can you see? He can see right over everybody. Ron, you can see. Tim, you can see. How about the look? Christopher, can you see? He says, no, I can't see. You might, have, you might have to move up to the front. Maybe someone can lift you up on their shoulders. I do that. Some. Okay, John 9, verses 13 through 41. Continuing on with the healing of the blind man. This is after he's received his sight. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, for he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that Moses, or excuse me, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God has not listened to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 
Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you that you are a God who opens the eyes of the blind. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes. Open them fully. And even if we see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we, we ask you to open our eyes so that we can see all the glory contained in this passage. It is overflowing with glory. Help us to see it. Help us to drink it in. Help us to relish it. Help us to live according to it. Father, if there are any who do not see that Jesus is the Christ, I pray that you would open their eyes, that you would be gracious and merciful to them. And that though they are blind, they could also be able to say, now I see. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Perhaps some of you in this room can relate to this experience that I had when I first became a Christian. Um, I came across a number of books. Uh, that provided evidence for the Christian faith. Uh, one of my textbooks in college was Reasons Why Skeptics Should Consider Christianity, co-written by Josh McDowell. And then I read another book by Josh McDowell called Evidence That's a Man's a Verdict. And I love that book, especially the prophecies that were laid out in that book. Uh, hundreds of them were laid out by Josh McDowell. And specifically, I enjoy the ones that showed how they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, for example, Micah 5, 2 uh, prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Um, it also prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin and that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham and also from the line of David. And then the prophecies also said that this man would also be called a Mighty God or Emmanuel, which means that he would be a man, but God at the same time. And on and on it went. And I thought, these are awesome. And in that book, it was summarized this way. And some of you have heard this before. And I got to repeat it to you because I just love it. Uh, Josh McDowell quotes Peter Stoner, who calculated that the odds or excuse me, what the odds would be of any one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. He found the chance was 1 in 10 to the 17th power, which is a 1 followed by 17 zeros. So if I were to write on the board, 1 and 17 zeros. In order to help us comprehend the staggering possibility, Stoner illustrates by supposing that we take 1 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all the state two feet deep. Now imagine we take a big spoon and we stir up all these silver dollars all over Texas. And then we tell a man, I'll travel all over Texas. You can go from Houston to Dallas, Fort Worth, wherever you want to go, all through Texas. And then reach down into the silver dollars and pull out the one silver dollar that has a red X on it. And the odds of you picking out the one silver dollar, the same odds of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. 
that we find in the Bible. Now, if you think that is staggering, consider that Stoner also calculates the odds of any one person fulfilling 48 prophecies. The odds in that case were not 1 in 17th power, but, excuse me, 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Now consider that Josh McDowell and other theologians state that the Old Testament contains over 300 references to the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And you read those prophecies and you read about those statistics and you think, the evidence is overwhelming. This is amazing. I'm going to buy a hundred copies of evidence that demands a verdict and I'm going to pass them out to all my non-Christian friends. I'm going to say, look especially to the chapter on prophecy Look at the evidence and then come back to me and let's talk and I'll tell you about this Jesus Christ. Did you ever have a similar experience? You saw the evidence and you thought, if I could just share this with my non-Christian friends, then they would embrace it. And I thought, sure enough, they'll look at the evidence and they'll embrace it. Well, you may also have had this experience. You share the evidence and they don't embrace it. You're like, wow, what's, what's going on here? Well, the problem is that we assume people are neutral, open-minded, just waiting for the evidence. So, we present the evidence, and if the evidence is compelling, they'll embrace it. If the evidence is lacking, then they have to reject it. But that's not quite how it works. It's not quite that easy because people are not neutral, and what we find out is that they're actually hostile towards the truth. Let's back up a little bit to John 8:43. Jesus said, "Why do you not understand what I say?" And then he tells them, "It is because you cannot bear to hear my word." Does that sound like neutrality to you? Or how about 44? "You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Does that sound like people are open to the truth? And then 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Isn't that interesting? Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. That's not neutrality. That is hostility towards the gospel. And next time you present the fact to someone, the clear, compelling evidence, and they don't believe you, just say to yourselves, the reason why they do not accept the truth is because they do not believe. Just repeat verse 45 to yourself. Because I tell them the truth, they do not believe it because they are blind to the truth. So contrary to popular opinion, the facts do not speak for themselves. You say that again. The facts do not speak for themselves because the facts will always be interpreted through some kind of grid, some kind of worldview, through some basic presuppositions or assumptions that people have. The facts are presented, and then you can picture it going through a person's mind, and it comes out the other side. 
Case in point, John 9. In John 9, we have the quote-unquote facts. We have the evidence that demands a verdict. And what is the evidence that demands a verdict? Jesus healed a blind man. Very simple, very obvious, very undeniable, although they will try to deny it later on. Simple facts. But this simple fact is presented, and lo and behold, one conclusion over here, the exact opposite conclusion over here. And you say, how can that be? How can we have two different conclusions drawn from the same facts? Well, let's uh, look at our passage and see how that came about. 13, we pick up the story. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Why did they bring him to the Pharisees? Uh, We're not told, but for whatever reason, they brought him to the Pharisees. 14, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and put it on his eyes. Now we have a new detail presented that wasn't presented earlier. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And perhaps this explains why the blind man was brought to the Pharisees. Because he healed them on the Sabbath. Perhaps they're tattling uh, on Jesus, telling the Pharisees this man is working on the Sabbath. Uh, That is a possibility. Um, We'll see that again in John 11. Um, After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, we're told that some will believe, but some went and told the Pharisees, which really means they went and they tattled on Jesus because they didn't like what he did. Uh, Perhaps um, the other possibility is that they were excited about this healing. And perhaps they said, you've got to go tell the Pharisees so that they can see what this man has done. And they'll give us an explanation of the facts and the implications of it. Um, We don't know exactly. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. There is the fact. Staring them in the face. Looking at them. A man born blind now sees. Now, granted the clear and compelling evidence, what conclusion will the Pharisees come to? They will come to two very different conclusions. And I want you to see how they evaluate the evidence. And let me talk about, just for fun, syllogisms. Any of you kids had syllogisms in logic class? Okay, I'm writing this out for the kids. Your parents know this. Your parents can calculate this in their heads. So they don't need this. I'm doing this for the benefit of the kids. Okay, syllogism. And actually, this is very helpful. Even if you just watch politics, you'll see that they come to conclusions. And you can put together the syllogism that they're running through. So syllogism, kids are saying, what is that? That's where you have a major premise. And then you have a minor premise. And based on these two, you come to a conclusion. That's my abbreviation for conclusion. Okay? All you kids got that? Can you see that? 
Major premise, minor premise, conclusion. Okay, now I want you to see, given the evidence, two different syllogisms are taking place. Okay? So we'll just do, we'll call the first one syllogism A. Next one, syllogism B. Okay? Two different syllogisms. Okay, now notice verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. That's their conclusion. Now, how did they come to that conclusion? Major premise? Okay. Godly men obey. The Sabbath. Okay? Or law, that's fine. That's a major premise. Godly men obey the Sabbath. We'd all agree with that, right? So one of the Ten Commandments. That's the major premise. That's the general statement. Okay? Major premise gives a general statement. The minor premise gives a specific statement. The specific statement is Jesus, at least in their minds, what? Disobeyed or broke the Sabbath, right? Okay? Okay, godly men from God, I could add, obey the Sabbath. Prophets obey the Sabbath. Jesus broke the Sabbath. Ergo, conclusion, Jesus is not... From God. Okay? That's their conclusion, okay? This man is not from God. That's how they're arguing. That's the logic that they're doing when they're presented with the facts. Okay? Syllogism B. Okay? God doesn't listen okay to sinners many that's just a general statement many passages Isaiah 59 talk about that your your sins have separated you from your God so that uh, he does not hear. Okay? Okay? God doesn't listen to sinners. Okay? Major premise, general statement. Minor premise, God listened, running out of room, to Jesus, right? And the evidence of this, sorry, my handwriting is getting worse and worse. I'll try to go faster and faster. God listened to Jesus, and the evidence of that is he healed the blind man. The only way that Jesus could heal the blind man is when he said, Father, grant me power to, to heal this man. Okay, so the other conclusion is, Jesus is from God. Okay? Now, look at 16 again. But others said, 
How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Now, they're being very careful in how they present it. Okay? Remember, this is the Pharisee. Some over here are saying, hey, this man's a sinner. No way that he's from God. Others are saying, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And, and if, if they really laid it all out, which they don't really want to because they don't like the implication, God doesn't listen to sinners. They know that. But God listened to Jesus. Therefore, it really seems to indicate that Jesus is from God. They're just being very careful how they describe that. And I find it fascinating that this, these two different opinions take place among the Pharisees. And then we're told at the end of verse 16 that there was a division among them. Two huge conclusions. Two opposite conclusions are drawn. So there was a terrible division among the Pharisees. Now, just to be fair to both sides, here's the fact. Okay, let me lay out the fact. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's the fact. Okay? Jesus healed on the Sabbath. This group over here, what do they see? All they see is the Sabbath. How dare you heal on the Sabbath, violation of the Sabbath, according to their rules, not God's. And notice that they completely omit the miracle. Where, where's the miracle? How does that enter into their logic? It doesn't. It doesn't enter into their logic whatsoever. The only thing that they see in that fact is Jesus healed on the Sabbath is on the Sabbath. They're obsessed with that. There's no excitement, no, no joy in this man who receives his sight after being blind his whole life. All they're worried about is this Sabbath breaker. What a wicked, vile man this Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. That's all they can see in the quote-unquote facts. The other group's different. They see this man healed. They, they are reckoning with that. Wait a second. We have a formerly blind man standing right here in front of us. We can't deny this. And again, at this point, they're being very careful. Uh, but they're a little leery at this point of the implications because the implications are pretty clear. Now, 17... So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? So they asked the blind man, well, what, what do you think? What, what's your conclusion given the evidence? And he says, he is a prophet. Basically, he is siding with syllogism B. God doesn't listen to sinners. God listens to this man. Therefore, he's from God. Not in the sense of Messiah Son of God, but in the sense that he's got to be a man of God, he must be a prophet. Now, at this point, we don't have a full orb Christology. Uh, but I don't blame the blind man because I think at this point, the only category he has to put such a man is prophet. And he's on the right track. He, he is open-minded. He, he's got to at least be a prophet. He has to at least be speaking on behalf of God. God sent him. He's speaking on behalf of God. He's, he's a godly man. That much must be true. And that's good. Often that's where it begins. In John 4, remember when Jesus talked to the woman at the well? And Jesus said, why don't you go get your husband and come back? And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. 
And she responded, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Only a prophet would have that kind of insight. And that's where she starts. This is a man from God. He speaks from God. He has tremendous insight. And from there, she went on to see that he, in that passage, is the Savior of the world. So this man is on the right track because he is open to the facts. He is open to the evidence. And not everybody is. People aren't always open to the facts. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind. They cannot believe that. There there must be some other explanation. They're trying to pull a fast one by us. They would not believe it. They're trying to refute the evidence so that they can get rid of it. So that they can get rid of this conclusion over here. In order to do that, you've got to get rid of the evidence. So they call the parents in. They ask him, is this your son? Who you say was born blind? How does he now see? And the parents answered, this is our son. We know that he was born blind. How he now sees? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know him. Ask him. He is of age. Now that's really an interesting response. Because I think as parents, we can understand what would it be like to have a baby and then be told by the doctor on the day of the birth, your child is blind. Your child is not able to see. Your child will never be able to see. And sure enough, year after year after year, you raise the child, you love this child, but the child will never see. The child will never see mountains. The child will never see the ocean, never see the sunrise or the sunset. will never see the full moon. will never see the pinkness or the redness of a rose, the greenness of a grass, your child will never be able to see that. And then suddenly, out of the blue, your child, as a man, comes to you and he says, Mom, Dad, I can see! Would you not be ecstatic if you were the parents? Where is their joy? Average parents, if such had happened to them, they would crawl over miles of broken glass to find the great physician who brought sight to their son, shake his hand and say, thank you, we'll never be able to repay you. In our wildest dreams, in our biggest prayers, we never imagined that God would do such a thing. And here they are. We don't know what happened. Ask him. Why the response? We don't have to guess. John tells us, 22, parenthetically, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They feared the Jews. That's really sad if you think about it. They were so afraid of the Jews that they could not say, we don't know who, we can't wait to meet this man. They're so afraid of the Jews, they didn't want to say anything. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid that if they said, Jesus opened the eyes of our son, that would be tantamount to confessing that he was the Christ. And if they confessed that he was the Christ, they would be kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of society, cast off from their friends, excommunicated, too much of a price to pay. They kept their mouth shut. We don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. They get out of it the best way they can. Really, really quite sad. So, and I find this fascinating. So for a second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. That sounds good until you read on. Give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. 
I think they're really trying to put the screws on him. Give glory to God. Say that this man's a sinner. That will glorify God and not this man. Go along with us in syllogism A and admit this man is a sinner. He's a Sabbath breaker. Admit it. This man is a sinner. They figure if they can shut the man, the blind man up, then they can stop this testimony from going forth. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. You know what? He's not going to be intimidated. You know what? I don't know. But I know this. I couldn't see my whole life. And now I can see. I can look you in the eye. I know that much. That's all I know right now. That's all I know. I know his name is Jesus. I don't know anything about him, but I know this. He gave me sight. And I can see. He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) They didn't like that, did they? And they reviled him. Why are they reviling him? They don't like the evidence. It's interesting. I was talking to Jeff Temple this last week and, and he had mentioned when people don't like another side of an argument, whether it's theology or anything else, often they get mad. He said, there's really no reason to get upset. You know, just present the other side. Let's weigh out the evidence. But sometimes people don't like where the evidence is, is leading. And when that happens, instead of saying, well, just show me. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm open. But if people really aren't open, a lot of times anger, they're like, wow, what, where did they get upset? Sometimes there's a lot at stake in the truth. There's a lot at stake in the truth for these Pharisees. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not even know where he comes from. We don't even know where he comes from. And then I just love this response. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. I love this. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Okay, now watch the logic at work here. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Okay, basically he's saying, now let's, let's work through this. Can I, can I give you a little syllogism, Pharisees? Let, let's work through this logically. You say you don't know where he's coming from, okay? It's really not that hard. Let's think through this, okay? Okay, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. Positively, he says, But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, that's the flip side. So he presents it positively as well as negatively. And then he says, never since the world began. Don't omit that. Elijah raised people from the dead. Remember the dead man's son laid on him. Never in the Old Testament was a blind man from birth ever given his sight again. He's absolutely right here. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's pointing the evidence right in their face. This has never happened in the history of the mankind. I am one of a kind. Literally, what has happened to me is unprecedented. Why? Because God listened to this man, obviously. What's the conclusion? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
Obviously, this man is from God. How can you say you don't know where he comes from? This is basic logic. Logic 101. First week of logic class. Putting together a syllogism. This is not hard. Unless you don't want to look at the facts. And they didn't want to look at the facts. What's their response? They answered him, You were born in utter sin. What do you do when you can't refute the logic? You revert to name-calling. We said this before. You revert to name-calling. You just think of the best name. You bigoted. You snob. You whatever. Whatever name you can think of. Because you don't have an argument. So you have to criticize the person. Well, you're, you're a sinner. You, you know nothing. And you would teach us. And then what happens? And they cast him out. They excommunicated him. That's what happened because of his testimony for Christ, the prophet. At this point, they excommunicated him. And maybe this doesn't mean much to us because we don't really think in these terms too often. But maybe what we should understand is excommunication in churches. We've never done this when we've had very serious um, discipline issues in the church. People have left the church. But I talked to another pastor a little while back and he said they had someone in the church who was unrepentant, but they wanted to keep coming to the church. So he said, you can come to the church under one condition. You cannot participate in the Lord's Supper. He said, we cannot allow you to come to the Lord's table. This is what many churches do if you have unrepentant people who want to keep coming. Uh, The climax of the service, the highlight of the service is coming to the Lord's table, fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. It's the greatest privilege. We confess our sins so that we can be cleansed. We listen to God and His Word so that we can walk with Him. But our greatest joy is communion. And actually, that's my favorite term for the Lord's Supper, communion, because it best for me describes what the Lord's table is all about, communing with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So imagine being told one Sunday morning, okay, you're welcome to join us for the service this morning, but we are not going to give you the bread and wine at the Lord's table. That's excommunication. That would sting. This man was willing to do it. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, found him, and said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And you need to know that that's a title for the Messiah from Daniel. Son of Man doesn't just mean Jesus in His humanity. That's a title for the Messiah. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is He, sir, that I may believe in Him? He believes that Jesus is a prophet. He knows that He comes from God. This man will believe anything Jesus tells him. So he is on the edge of his seat. He's saying, tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and we're told, and he worshipped him. This is very important because in a couple of chapters earlier, actually the previous chapter, We have people believing in Jesus, but then they wanted to kill him. The belief wasn't real. So John is very clear here showing that this blind man believes in Jesus, but this man really does believe because this belief 
is demonstrated with him worshiping Jesus Christ. Perhaps he literally bowed down and prostrated himself on the ground. He worships Jesus Christ. And he is saved. He sees who Christ is. How is he able to see? Because Jesus opened his eyes. That's why he's able to see. That's why he's able to see the evidence. And then notice, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago, blinded by the light. People who think they can see will actually become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? They understand the implications. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt or literally no sin. But now that you say we see, your sin or your guilt remains. You will remain in your sin and in your guilt. The judgment of God will remain on you. And perhaps Jesus even saying that you will not be able to see. And that sounds harsh, but we see that in many passages when people are rebellious. God hardens their hearts like he did to Pharaoh. He will blind their eyes. He will close their ears so that they cannot see and hear and turn to Him. So when we are presented with the evidence, when we are presented with the truth, it is so important to be open to God, to respond to the truth. Because as the saying goes, the same sun that softens the wax also hardens the clay. And that's why people who hear the Word of God, some are softened and changed. Others are hardened and actually become more bitter. The Word of God has an impact. Sometimes it's positively. Sometimes it's negatively. That's why as elders, sometimes we, we half-jokingly say it's a dangerous thing to come to church. Because when God speaks, He's looking for a response from His people. Let's close in prayer. Father, we ask You to be gracious and merciful to us. Open our eyes, Father. Help us to see. Thank You for the glorious God that You are. Father, may we testify to our friends and neighbors and relatives that once we were blind, but now we see. May we not shrink back from testifying that Jesus Christ has changed our lives. And we believe with all our hearts that He is the promised Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world, our only hope of eternal life. Father, may we not be silent because of the fear of man. May we not shrink back because we may be cast out to one extent or another. Help us to be bold. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.